What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. A new bill is moving through the state legislature that would end caste discrimination in California. We are joined this morning by Ted Mori, Senator Robert John, a Dalit rights activist whose book, The Trauma of Caste, exposes caste oppression in the South Asian subcontinent and the United States. She's also the founder and executive director of Oakland, California-based Equality Labs, a Dalit advocacy group. Good morning. Good morning, Kat. Such a pleasure to be here and to be here with all your listeners. I'm really glad to have you and the wonderful way the universe uh, connected us. Um, I want to start, uh, Ted Mori, with some basics and personal history because I, I don't know that folks really understand what the caste system is or what is caste-based bias. So if you just start with an explainer about what the caste system is, that would be great. Oh, for sure. So for, for listeners who are just getting into the conversation about caste, you know, it's a system of exclusion that um, impacts over 1.9 billion people in South Asia and over 5.7 million South Asian Americans here in the United States. And, you know, like race, it's based on a social fiction where some people at the top decided to say everybody else was not equal and created levels of, you know, um, degrading kind of pollution and access to structural power. And it's extremely violent in our homelands, like every day. You know, people in our homelands face deep violence as a result of this, like where we are raped and murdered and lynched. But critically, it's a huge problem in the United States. And our organization, Equality Labs, found that one in four caste-oppressed people have faced physical and verbal violence, one in three educational discrimination, and two out of three workplace discrimination. And that's why we're really acting on this, because, you know, this is a huge Californian problem in terms of our workplaces and universities, because we have heard from workers across every single sector, from restaurant work, the building trades, you know, tech, healthcare, uh, the law, um, it's it's a it's a it's a very much a challenge where workers are facing grave discrimination like harassment, sexual um, sexual targeting and harassment, um, discrimination and bias. And when they're bringing it to HR, they're not getting support. Um, and so this is why when such significant cases are coming forward and Californians are mobilizing to change their institutions, you know, independently, there's just so much data and personal stories now. We just need California to lead on this conversation across the country and provide remedy for cats oppressed people. Because, again, you know, this is a huge civil rights problem and we know how to solve it. You know, make those protections in the law explicit and and then ensure that anyone that causes this harm, you know, can be held accountable um, under discrimination policies. Can you talk a little bit, uh, Tenmori, about how you personally have experienced uh, caste-based bias? Oh, sure. And, you know, Kat, for me, I think Berkeley was ground zero for a lot of these experiences for me because, you know, I'm I'm California born and raised. Like I grew up in, you know, I was born in like Boyle Heights in East L.A., and, you know, grew up in Orange County and, you know, went to Berkeley and, you know, did my master's at USC. So I've been in every part of the state, have been part of movements for over 20 years. And what I've seen is that caste is found in every part of the state in every sector. 
And, you know, my huge awakening, especially as I watched my parents grow up in the closet because they were so terrified at being outed and facing discrimination and violence here, was that as a child, I just, I couldn't comprehend why my parents were so afraid. And as I came out, and I came out in Berkeley, like, you know, when I was 18 at the, at the campus and, you know, being mentored by all these incredible women of color leaders like Linda Burnham, and um, mm, and other folks, uh, you know, other BIPOC women held the space for me to say, stay in your truth. You know, we know that there's violence, but there's also power. There's also co-liberation. And so I did uh, because I was facing systemic discrimination at the campus. Like people would use slurs at me as soon as I came out. I also faced rape threats and death threats. And people started to block me from uh, accessing the South Asian community because I was speaking openly about caste. But the critical thing for Berkeleyans who are listening to know is that Berkeley was the ground zero place for the discussion of caste in California because the second largest landlord in the city of Berkeley, even to this state, is the Lucky Bali Reddy um, landlord and his, you know, sons. They own almost all the ho- housing stock in the uh, in the rental community, and these people trafficked over 300 Castapest workers, including 20 young girls, to be his sex slaves, who he had groomed and recruited in India, and then brought them here to service him and his buildings and his restaurants. And when that case broke, um, I was like only 19 at the time. So I was only three or four years older than those girls that were trafficked. And I saw it, you know, I saw how invisible Dalit women and girls' bodies were to American society. I saw how much of our community was willing to stand with a bigot and someone who was a sexual um, exploit trafficker of young girls. And that if we didn't have a structural answer to this, that it was going to be a problem. And from that work, you know, I went on to become like a really strong Dalit organizer. We founded Equality Labs with many other caste depressed feminists. And we took on these different battles throughout the state. So there's been attempts of caste privileged people to try to erase the word Dalit and the teaching of caste out of textbooks because they want to hide um, the centuries of bigotry that have existed related to caste. We've also conducted surveys, which, you know, um, which were like the really important in establishing that caste exists in the United States. Um, and we've worked um, on many, many cases, particularly after the state of California sued Cisco Corporation, which is the first time in American history that an American corporation is being sued for extensive caste discrimination. So we're in a watershed moment of civil rights where we're seeing not only so many caste depressed people coming out of the closet, telling their stories, we're seeing, you know, strategic litigation brought by government and, um, you you know, and other um, entities to address the, the structural discrimination that they're seeing and workers themselves are saying if there is systemic caste discrimination, we must act. And this is very poignant for me because like last year, I was the target of a very violent experience where I was supposed to speak at Google for Dalit History Month, which is um, which is April. And when I was in the process of giving that talk, um, these dominant caste people uh, wrote in and said that they were afraid for their lives if I were to speak. And Kat, you know, as far as I know, I've never met anybody who has died from a DEI talk. And yet, <laughs> I mean, you tell me, Kat, you know a lot more people than I do. 
But the fact that you had bigots saying this, shutting down conversations related to caste and using extremely anti-black language. So some of the people that write in about this say, these are woke people. If you don't want critical race theory, then why are you bringing in critical caste theory? They denigrate black leaders who have stood with us, like Professor Cornell West. I mean, it's a it's a convergence of anti-black and anti-Dalit, um, um, you know, movements in their approach about how they want to shut down any of these conversations. But, you know, when that happened, it was terrifying because not only was I removed from the talk, but also Google itself asserted that caste was not a protected category. And this was why um, Tanuja Gupta, this, the manager who had, you know, worked to protect me and try to keep the, the conversation going, she resigned after she was retaliated against. And then she whistleblowed on the whole situation. Um, and then we had a global conversation about caste and tech again. So for Senator Aisha Wahab, the really courageous Muslim Senate, state senator who's bringing forth this bill, She's bringing forth this bill because so many of these cases are coming forward in her district. You know, you know, the folks in Cal State University that came out of that work to mobilize and have, you know, Cal State um, University system add cast. That was a worker led, student led movement with the California Faculty Association hearing from students like Prem Pariyar and Manmeet Singh and saying, we have to act on this. And so Cal State University led the way across the university sector in adding cast as a protected category. After what happened with me in Tunisia at Google, um, again, more tech workers started to activate on this and Alphabet Workers Union really started to hold Google's feet to the fire around this issue of cast. Google management didn't respond. So what did Alphabet Workers Union do? They joined us in the battle to add cash as a protected category in Seattle. And now Google has to contend with this um, and support their workers in Seattle who have had to go to outside jurisdictions in order to get protection that the company refuses to provide. So this is such a powerful moment because this movement for cash equity is galvanizing racial and gender and workers' rights movements across the state um, because people understand caste is a human rights issue. It's a workers' rights issue. It's a women's rights issue. And it's an issue that when we hold fast in this collective vision for liberation, um, we're able to beat back forces that, um, that really want to hold us all down. Okay, I want to bring Senator Aisha Wahab uh, into the conversation. Senator Aisha Wahab represents the 10th district, which runs from Hayward and Union City south to Sunnyvale and Santa Clara. Senator Wahab is also the first Muslim and Afghan-American elected to the state legislature. Good morning, Senator. Good morning. Thank you for having Thank me. You. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Uh, I, I want to start with how this issue first came uh, came to you and why did it tug at you as something that needed to be addressed with legislation? You know, a lot of people think that this is a follow-up of the Seattle case, and it's not. It actually started, and we worked on it um, ahead of time, specifically uh, to what uh, Mori was saying. Um, a lot of the complaints have come out of my district. There are, it's a predominantly Asian district. Uh, that Asian obviously varies in uh, ethnicity. And more and more as people were sharing their stories with me and the different nuances and fear that they live in and then the examples that they gave. Um, in fact, I had a friend who told me that her parents 
uh, were of different castes and because they weren't accepted um, back home, they moved to the United States to pursue their marriage and their family and their careers and dreams. Um, but even here, they faced a lot of discrimination because they belonged to different castes. Um, and so they were shunned largely by uh, many, many different people. And it's something that we as Americans can't necessarily see or fully understand because we mm-hmm. are not part of that community or culture. And um, the more we start to expand in California with our diversity, I, I do believe our laws need to go further and deeper to protect more vulnerable community members, whether we fully understand it or not. What specifically, Senator, would your bill do? Specifically in regards to uh, FIHA and the UNRWA Civil Rights Act, uh, we would add caste as a protected class um, specifically in those categories. Um, Very clarifying language that clearly states that ancestry does potentially also include uh, caste. Are you finding support, Senator, amongst your colleagues in the legislature? And is garnering that support um, contingent on helping people understand? Because, like, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't understand that this was an issue. You are 100 percent. Yeah. Hit the nail on the head. So people are very supportive. I think that people just want to understand exactly what caste is again. You know, as as diverse of a state we are, our legislature is, is still working on more diversity, right? We just elected 50 women for the first time in the entire state legislature. Um, and so we have a long way to go for parity and let alone ethnic parity, right? Um, so we, we, we do spend a lot of time explaining what the caste system is, how it's worked, uh, its history a little bit. Um, and why this this particular law is incredibly important. And once people really understand it, they're fully supportive of it. It is a civil rights law, and I think more and more people want to protect the most vulnerable community members. Um, So I think that that's really where it's at. There is some opposition. The, it, for instance, the Hindu American Foundation says that it's a it's a bill that targets racially profiles and institutionalizes bias against all residents of Indian and South Asian origin origin as well as a few other vulnerable communities of color. End quote. Senator or or Timori, can one of you ex, expl, explain that argument? What for my listeners and it, and why it's that is incorrect. So it is false because they are trying to conflate, um, you know, what is being protected with uh, potentially who is discriminating. Right. Um, It's as if we were to have the argument of, uh, you know, protecting women. Okay, so are we targeting women? No, not at all. Right. Mm -hmm. So it -hmm. is the same conversation that we can have. And, And I've heard this argument multiple times. Um, and the honest truth is we are protecting the most vulnerable in a community that, um, has not really been protected, right? Whether you're talking about a thousand years ago or here in the state of California. And the reason why so many institutions are starting to add the word caste in their code of conduct of anti-discrimination efforts, um, is because people are seeing it, realizing it and understanding that this is happening. Right. Um, so I think that it's important to highlight that Harvard just added uh, the word cast into their anti-discrimination. The, the California Democratic Party in 2021 uh, absorbed uh, language in uh, their code of conduct of anti-discrimination efforts uh, around caste. So I think that more and more people are understanding this and um, it's very clear that it is happening. And yes, it's happening in areas 
that um, certain communities are maybe more prevalent. Um, but that also means we have to go further. It's, it's very similar to um, anti-Asian hate efforts, right? Um, right? When a community is targeted, we have to stand up for them. And I don't often, I also, you know... Oh. Oh, sorry, no, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to come right to you. I'm just going to say I don't often regurgitate, right, um, the, the words of the opposition and social justice issues. I, I do. I did it today because I think it's important for listeners to understand because I think to the point of folks not fully being aware of this as a problem, right, folks can get confused, which is why I brought that up. Ten more, you go ahead. Oh, yeah, no problem, Kat. And I think just to build up what the senator was saying is that it's just really important to know that the only bill, the only people that this bill targets are those that discriminate. If you don't Mm. discriminate on the basis of caste, you won't have an issue. But some of the kind of, you know, more alarmist rhetoric that is coming from the opposition, we've actually seen it before in other civil rights struggles. Because every time we try to go forward in the name of progress, there are always bigots who have benefited off of this oppression that, um, that, you know, are scared about a change. And I think discomfort is always there when there's change. But discomfort is not the same as grave discrimination. And we are certainly seeing really tremendous problems, as Senator Wahab talked about, in her district and across California. You know, when we're talking about people being trafficked, when we're talking about people being denied housing and being homeless as a result of caste discrimination, when we're talking about wage theft, when we're talking about sexual harassment and caste being part of coercive control and domestic violence relationships, these are tactical, Mm. practical manifestations of structural problems and the only way forward is to change the law and and i think an important piece that senator wahab mentioned which i really want to also lift up is that what the law does is that it clarifies existing protection so currently caste is considered to be covered under existing categories but the reason why we're making it explicit with this bill is many companies choose to selectively not implement um, the, their, their, their duty um, to protect caste-depressed workers because it makes them uncomfortable. So this is exactly the situation that happened in Google where, you know, directly to me, a vice president at Google told me, you know, when, when I was being deplatformed, when I had to go into a safe house because of the bigots that had been enabled by their actions, you know, they were telling me directly that, well, you know, we understand that, you know, the California Department, you know, of Fairness and Employment and Housing says caste is a protected category, but we're not sure that it is. And I said, so are you mm. saying is Google higher than the California Civil Rights Authority? <laughs> and they're like, we're just different. And I think companies that, you know, do not protect their workers and selectively enforce federal and um, state labor laws and civil rights statutes must be accountable. And so this is really about protecting all workers. It's really about protecting, um, you know, uh, women and queer folks. Because Again, another really terrible case that happened in Aisa's district was this one Dalit queer non-binary staff person who was reported by Dominic Cass Bigots for her work around civil rights. And she faced a three-month um, uh, investigation at her work and had to, was outed both in terms of her queer identity and also in terms of her caste identity. And it was humiliating. 
you know, and, and HR was asking all these questions of her when she was, in fact, a survivor because they didn't understand and they didn't have cast listed. So this bill brings an urgent remedy to a really grave problem. And I also think it's a challenge to all the listeners out there to think about how our definitions of race in the United States are very North American focused. But our companies that are founded here actually are multinational corporations. And so their, you know, unethical practices related to systems like caste means that it not just impacts workers here in the United States, but workers across the globe. So we're really hoping that California can lead the nation and the world with this really powerful bill. And we're really looking forward to celebrating with Senator Wahab when we get this win. Senator, uh, one last question for you, and I'll let you uh, get back to what I know is a very busy day. First, I want to thank you for standing with Councilwoman Carol Fife and myself when we lifted up the types of threats that we experience as black women. I, I want to be in solidarity with you as well. It's my understanding that after introducing the bill last week, you experienced a wave of attacks. Can you walk my listeners through what happened? Definitely. Um, you know, I've been receiving a significant amount of messages, uh, emails, voicemails, um, both on my campaign line as well as my uh, state lines. Um, we've had individuals come into the district office, very belligerent, very aggressive, using violent language, um, asking what religion we are, um, including my staff, some who are actually have uh, no religion, um, asking who we're employing, uh, what is my public schedule, and much more specifically utilizing um, language, talking about, uh, you know, physical threats as well as even old country politics, you know, referencing the Mughal Empire to uh, Afghans and Muslims to, you know, the a lot of the tensions that are happening abroad and, and much more. Um, and then going further, trying to say, you know, you know, what else are we going to do for other communities and um, much more. So we have actually faced uh, uh, quite a few significant um, threats uh, to my physical well-being as well as my staff. Uh, we are working on that. And uh, I think that, y- you know, you know it better than anybody else. There is no civil rights effort that has not faced opposition. Right. And we knew that going in, uh, we know that it, very much now, and we will continue moving to fight for the most vulnerable community members in our district, in our state, and hopefully uh, around the world where we can. Last question for both of you. How can the public support? Uh, number one, I think it's, in, it's, it's very much important to um, call in your local senators and assembly members to make sure that this bill goes through and explaining to them what the actual meaning and references behind it. Uh, speaking of the threats, we actually have had a significant amount of complaints, both formally lodged against us and much more, uh, just pulling things out of thin air just to prove a point, you know, that they have money and power behind the opposition movement. Um, this, again, is for the 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 people that have been ignored in, in the shadows to thin Mori's multiple examples. So uh, the more we can explain to assembly members and senators that don't have large uh, districts of different ethnic communities or super diverse, uh, we need to spend time educating them. And also when the bill comes up, making sure that we have a significant amount of support calls in support of the bill. Tenmori, you've got the final word. 
Well, um, I think that, you know, first of all, KPFA listeners always know that when they hear a call to action, they act. So I would just ask everyone if they could to, you know, come to our socials on Equality Labs. You'll see some campaigns related to what Senator Wahab had shared. We are in the middle of email, asking people to email all of the legislators so that we can really get folks engaged and learn about this issue. And We'll also be having future um, campaigns to get people to call everyone. But I think what's really at this moment is that, you know, again, I want to emphasize what Senator Bob just focused on is that, you know, we have the first Muslim woman state senator in the state of California facing direct political attacks because she is standing up for workers' rights, women's rights, and queer rights. And I think what's really, really important is that we do not let these kinds of attacks on our uh, political and civil rights organizations stand. When we see this kind of opposition, we know that we have to be united as a progressive community. And because an attack on one of us is an attack on all of us. So if folks can, you know, reach out to Equality Labs, if you're a member of a union and you are someone who knows that your union could back Senator Wahab in the process of this bill, please reach out to us. Um, if you're someone who works on gender justice and racial justice issues, we need as many orgs as possible to stand up in this moment of California because it's not just about a small community. It's actually about how all of our wins are connected to a collective vision of liberation. So I just appreciate you, Kat, giving us this platform. And, you know, you'll be hearing more from the Cast Equity Movement over the next couple of months. And just thank you for this time. Absolutely. And we'll be tracking this both at APTP and here on the show. So we look forward to having both of you back um, at a point where it makes sense to continue to uplift this issue. You both have good days. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>